Chapter Two of Freaks on the Fells Three Months Rustication. Story One by R. M. Ballantyne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Annalisa Bodker. Chapter Two Mr. Sudbury at Home my dear cried mr sudbury to his wife abruptly entering the parlour of his villa near hampstead heath i have done the deed dear john you are so violent my nerves really what deed said mrs sudbury a weak-eyed delicate woman of languid temperament and not far short of her husband's age i have written off to secure a residence in the highlands of scotland for our summer quarters this season mrs sudbury stared in mute surprise john my dear are you in earnest have you not been precipitate in this matter you know love that i have always trusted in your prudence to make arrangements for the spending of our holiday but really when i think well my dear when you think pray go on don't be hasty dear john you know i have never objected to any place you have hitherto fixed on Hearn Bay last year was charming, and the year before we enjoyed Margate so much. Even Worthing, though rather too long a journey for our family, was delightful, and as the family was smaller then, we got over the journey on the whole better than could have been expected. But Scotland? The Highlands? Mr. Sudbury's look at this point induced his wife to come to a full stop. The look was not a stern look much less a savage look as connubial looks sometimes are it was an aggrieved look not that he was aggrieved at the dubious reception given by his spouse to the arrangement he had made no the sore point in his mind was that he himself entertained strong doubts as to the propriety of what he had done and to find these doubts reflected in the mind of his faithful better half was perplexing well mary said the worthy merchant go on do you state the cons and i'll enumerate the pros after which we will close the account and see on which side the balance lies you know dear said mrs sudbury in a remonstrative tone the the journey is fearfully long i almost tremble when i think of it to be sure we have the railroad to edinburgh now but beyond that we shall have to travel by stage i suppose at least i hope so but perhaps they have no stage-coaches in scotland oh yes they have a few i believe replied the merchant with a smile ah that is fortunate for wagons are fearfully trying no i really think that i could not stand a wagon journey after my experience of the picnic at worthing some years ago think of our large family seven of us altogether in a wagon john but you forget i said that there are stage-coaches in scotland well but think of the slow and wearisome travelling among great mountains over precipices and through scotch mists lady know-nothing assures me she has been told that the rain never ceases in scotland except for a short time in autumn just to give the scanty crops time to ripen you know dear 
that our darling jacky's health could never stand the scotch miss he is so very delicate why mary exclaimed mr sudbury abruptly the doctor told me only yesterday that for a boy of five years old he was a perfect marvel of robust health that nothing ailed him except the result of overeating and the want of open-air exercise and i am sure that i can testify to the strength of his legs and the soundness of his lungs for he kicks like a jackass and roars like a lion it is very wrong very sinful of the doctor said mrs sudbury in a languidly indignant manner to give such a false report of the health of our darling boy at this moment the door burst open and the darling boy rushed into the room with a wild cheer of defiance at his nurse from whom he had escaped and who was in full pursuit hit his head on the corner of the table and fell flat on the floor with a yell that might have sent a pang of jealousy to the heart of a chippeway indian mr sudbury started up and almost overturned the tea-table in his haste but before he could reach his prostrate son nurse had him kicking in her arms and carried him off howling darling child said mrs sudbury with her hand on her heart how you do startle me john with your violence that is the fifteenth teacup this week the good lady pointed to a shattered member of the set that lay on the tray beside her i have just ordered a new set my dear said her husband in a subdued voice our poor boy would benefit i think by mountain air but go on with the cons have i not said enough replied mrs sudbury with an injured look besides they have no food in scotland this was a somewhat staggering assertion the merchant looked astonished at least pursued his wife they have nothing i am told but oatmeal do you imagine that jacky could live on oatmeal do you suppose that your family would return to london in a condition fit to be looked at after a summer spent on food such as we give to our horses no doubt you will tell me they have plenty of milk buttermilk i suppose which i abhor but do you think i could live with pleasure on sawdust just because i had milk to take to it but milk implies cream my dear interposed the merchant and buttermilk implies butter and both imply cows which are strong presumptive evidence in favour of beef besides don't talk to me mr sudbury i know better and lady know nothing who went to scotland last year in the most unprejudiced state of mind came back absolutely horrified by what she had seen why she actually tells me that the natives still wear the kilt the very day she passed through edinburgh she met five hundred men without trousers to be sure they had guns on their shoulders and someone told her they were soldiers but the sight was so appalling that she could not get rid of the impression she shut her eyes and ordered the coachman to drive straight through the town and let her know when she was quite beyond its walls she has no doubt whatever that most if not all of the other inhabitants of that place were clothed perhaps i should say unclothed in the same way what surprised poor lady know nothing most was that she did not see nearly so many kilts in the highlands as she saw on that occasion in edinburgh from which she concluded that the natives of scotland are less barbarous in the north than they are in the south but she did see a few 
one man who played those hideous things called the pipes, which she says are so very like little pigs being killed, actually came into her presence one day, sat down before her with bare knees, and took a pinch of snuff with a salt spoon. That is a dreadful account, no doubt, said Mr. Sudbury. But you must remember that Lady Know-Nothing is given to exaggerating, and is therefore not to be depended on. Have you done with the cons? Not nearly done, John, but my nervous system cannot stand the sustained contemplation of such things. I should like to recover breath, and hear what you have to say in favor of this temporary expatriation, I had almost said, of your family. Well, then, here goes for the prose, cried Mr. Sudbury, while a gleam of excitement shot from his eyes, and his clinched hand came heavily down on the table. The sixteenth cup, as near as possible, observed his wife languidly. Never mind the cups, my dear, but listen to me. The air of the highlands is salubrious and bracing. And piercingly cold, my dear John, interrupted Mrs. Sudbury. In summer, pursued her husband, regardless of the interruption, it is sometimes as clear and warm as it is in Italy. And often foggy, my dear. The mountain scenery is grand and majestic beyond description. Then why attempt to describe it, dear John? The hotels in most parts of the highlands, though rather expensive, ah, think of that, my dear, though rather expensive, are excellent. The food is of the best quality, and the wines are passable. Beds? Have they beds, my dear? Beds are generally found to be well aired and quite clean, though, of course, in the poorer and more remote districts they are. Hush! Pray spare my feelings, my dear John. Remote districts they are not so immaculate as one would wish. Then there are endless moors, covered with game, and splendid lakes and rivers full of fish. Just think, Mary, what a region for our dear boys to revel in. Think of the shooting. And the dreadful accidents, my dear. Think of the fishing. And the wet feet and the colds. Poor darling Jackie, what a prospect. Think of the glorious sunrises seen from the mountaintops before breakfast. And the falling over precipices and broken necks and limbs, dear John. Think of the shaggy ponies for our darling Lucy to ride on. Ah, and to fall off. And the dew of early morning on the hills, and the mists rolling up from the lakes, and the wild, uncultivated beauty of all around us, and the sketching, and walking, and driving. Dreadful! And bathing, and boating, and drowning. Not to mention the, Dear John, have pity on me. The prose are too much for me. I cannot stand the thought. But, my dear, the place is taken. The thing is fixed, said Mr. Sudbury with emphasis. Mrs. Sudbury was a wise woman. When she was told by her husband that a thing was fixed, she invariably gave in with a good grace. Her powers of dissuasion having failed, as they always did fail, she arose kissed Mr. Sudbury's forehead, assured him that she would try to make the most of it since it was fixed, and left the room with the comfortable feeling of having acted the part of a dutiful wife and a resigned martyr.
it was towards the close of a doubtful summer's evening several weeks after the conversation just detailed that a heavy stage-coach of an old-fashioned description toiled slowly up the ascent of one of those wild passes by which access is gained into the highlands of perthshire the course of the vehicle had for some time lain along the banks of a turbulent river whose waters when not brawling over a rocky bed in impetuous velocity or raging down a narrow gorge in misty spray were curling calmly in deep pools or cauldrons the dark surfaces of which were speckled with foam and occasionally broken by the leap of a yellow trout or a silver salmon to an angler the stream would have been captivating in the extreme but his ardour would have been somewhat damped by the sight of the dense copsewood which overhung the water and while it added to the wild beauty of the scenery suggested the idea of fishing under difficulties when the coach reached the narrowest part of the pass the driver pulled up and intimated that she would be obliged if the ladies and gentlemen would get down and walk up the brae hereupon there descended from the top of the vehicle a short stout elderly gentleman in a glengarry bonnet green tartan shooting-coat and shepherd's plaid vest and pantaloons two active youths of the ages of seventeen and fifteen respectively in precisely similar costume a man-servant in pepper and salt and a little thin timid boy in blue a sort of confidential page without the buttons all of them wore drab gaiters and shoes of the thickest conceivable description from the inside of the coach there issued a delicate elderly lady who leaned in a helpless manner on the arm of a young plain but extremely fresh and sweet-looking girl of about sixteen whom the elder lady called lucy and who was so much engrossed with her mother that some time elapsed before she could attend to the fervent remarks made by her father and brothers in regard to the scenery there also came forth from the interior of the coach a large red-faced angry woman who dragged after her a little girl of about eight who might be described as a modest sunbeam and a little boy of about five who resembled nothing short of an imp incarnate when they were all out the entire family and household of mr sudbury stood in the centre of that lovely highland pass and the coach which was a special one hired for the occasion drove slowly up the ascent what the various members of the family said in the extravagance of their excited feelings on this occasion we do not intend to reveal it has been said that the day was doubtful in the south the sky was red with the refulgent beams of the setting sun which gleamed on the mountain peaks and glowed on the purple heather towards the north dark leaden clouds obscured the heavens and presaged stormy weather a few large drops began to fall as they reached the crest of the road and opened up a view of the enclosed valley or amphitheatre which lay beyond with a winding river a dark overshadowed loch and a noble background of hills in the far distance a white house was seen embedded in the blue mountains yonder's tahoos said the driver as the party overtook the coach and resumed their places the males on the top and the females inside oh my dear look look cried mr sudbury leaning over the side of the coach 
There is our house, the White House, our Highland home. At this moment a growl of distant thunder was heard. It was followed by a scream from Mrs. Sudbury and a cry of, "'You'd better send Jackie inside, my dear.' "'Ah, he may as well remain where he is,' replied Mr. Sudbury, whose imperfect hearing led him to suppose that his spouse had said, "'Jackie's inside, my dear,' whereas the real truth was that the boy was neither out nor inside. Master Jackie, be it known, had a remarkably strong will of his own. During the journey he preferred an outside seat in all weathers. By dint of much coaxing, his mother had induced him to get in beside her for one stage, but he had made himself so insufferably disagreeable that the good lady was thereafter much more disposed to let him have his own way. When the coach stopped, as we have described, Jackie got out and roundly asserted that he would never get in again. When the attention of the party was occupied with the gorgeous scenery at the extremity of the pass, Jackie, under a sudden impulse of wickedness, crept stealthily into the copse that lined the road, intending to give his parents a fright. In less than five minutes these parents were galloping away at the rate of ten miles an hour, each happy in the belief that the sweet boy was with the other. Somewhat surprised at the prolonged and death-like silence that reigned around him, Jackie returned to the road, where he actually gasped with horror on finding himself the solitary tenant of an apparently uninhabited wilderness. Sitting down on a stone, he shut his eyes, opened wide his mouth, and roared vehemently. At the end of about five minutes he ventured to reopen his eyes. His face instantly assumed an expression of abject terror, and the roar was intensified into a piercing shriek when he beheld a fierce little black cow staring at him within a yard of his face. A drove of shaggy highland cattle had come suddenly round a turn in the pass while Jackie's eyes had been shut. They now filed slowly and steadily past the transfixed boy, as if they were a regiment and he a reviewing general. Each animal, as it came up, stopped, stared for a few seconds, and passed slowly on with its head down, as if saddened by the sight of such a melancholy spectacle. There were upwards of a hundred animals in the drove. The prolonged and maddening agony which Jackie endured may therefore be conceived but cannot be described. Last of all came the drover, a kilted, plaided, and bonneted highlander, quite as shaggy as the roughest of his cattle, and rather fiercer in aspect. He was not so in reality, however, for on coming to the place where the poor boy sat, he stopped and stared as his predecessors had done. "'Fat is she doin' there?' said he. Jackie paused and gazed for one moment in mute surprise, then resumed his roar, with shut eyes and with tenfold vigor. As it was evident that any farther attempt at conversation must prove fruitless, the drover took Jackie in his arms and carried him to the extremity of the pass, set him down, and pointing to the white house in the blue distance said, "'Yonder's Tahoos. Let her see how she can win.' Jackie fixed his eyes on the house with the stare of one who regarded it as his last and only refuge, and ran as he had never done before, roaring while he ran. She's a clever callant, 
observed the drover with a grim smile as he turned to follow his cattle meanwhile the sudbury family reached the white house in the midst of increasing rain and mist and muttering thunder of course jackie's absence was at once discovered of course the females screamed and the males shouted while they turned the mail coach entirely inside out in a vain search for the lost one the din was increased by nine shepherd dogs which rushed down the mountainside barking furiously with delight probably and with excitement certainly at the unwanted sight of so many strangers in that remote glen presently the coach was turned round and the distracted father galloped back towards the pass of course he almost ran over his youngest son in less than five minutes five minutes more placed the recovered child in its mother's arms then followed a scene of kissing crying laughing barking and excitement which is utterly indescribable accompanied by thunder lightning and rain in the midst of which tempestuous mental and elemental commotion the sudbury family took possession of their highland home end of chapter two mr sudbury at home recording by annalisa bodker